HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit Michter's.com to find out how their taste-is-everything-cost-be-damned attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and we have a fun show today. I'm really excited for this one. Uh, we actually have two guests uh, who are very excited to meet. Uh, they're actually calling in today, um, but we have uh, two guests calling in from Boston. We have Megan Parker Gray, who's the Row, uh, Row 34 beer director, uh, outstanding beer list, and that is the new oyster bar from the folks behind Island Creek Oyster Bar. And from Island Creek, we have the GM Tom Schle- Schlesinger uh, Guidelli, a famous last name, but one that I still have a hard time saying. Uh, guys, wel- welcome, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, re- really happy to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, my, you know, my girlfriend is uh, from the Boston area. She's from Dover, Sherbourne, and uh, we've been into the, uh, the Island Creek Oyster Bar together. We love Island Creek Oysters. They are fantastic. Uh, congratulations on, uh, on Row 34. I, I'm, I'm yet to, uh, yet to uh, go there, but I cannot wait. It, it's super exciting. Thank you so much. We'd love to have you in. Cool. Glad uh, you enjoyed the restaurant. Yeah, you guys are just doing such a great job. You know, I like to start off the show with uh, with the, the sort of the best thing that I've had to drink last week, and I'll, I'll give you guys a minute to think about some of the best things that you, you've had to drink. Tom, uh, you know, come from a, a pretty uh, fantastic uh, cocktail and mixology background. Obviously, as I said at the top of the show, Megan is the the beer director. So maybe if you guys can think of in the, it doesn't have to be this last actual week, but in, la- in recently something, a, a great cocktail, Tom, that you've had and Megan, a great beer. I know something that my best wine I had last week was uh, last night I went to um, a, uh, a pretty new bar from a former employee of ours, Gareth McCubbin. Uh, it's called Maiden Lane, and they do all sorts of uh, fish, uh, whether it's uh, smoked fish uh, uh, in a uh, 
uh, a salad situation or uh, canned fish. Uh, it's a really interesting kind of in that, that Spanish canned uh, idea. But anyway, I had a uh, Michel Gaillet Chardonnay um, from the Jura, and I feel like that would, would also be something that would be pretty fantastic uh, with cocktails. It has had a little bit of that sherry kind of oxidative quality, and uh, I know you guys have some uh, some pretty cool sherries over uh, at, at Island Creek. So I think that, that was kind of it. That was the best wine I had this last week. Guys, what have you had to drink that uh, that's pretty special? Well, I'm uh, I'm a really big fan of our neighbors, Trillium Brewing Company, which is uh, right next door to Row 34. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, they released a really beautiful sort of saison farmhouse style called Sunshower, which has just a really great aroma to it and a lovely dry finish. And I think it's really refreshing and complimentary, specifically to our menu at Row. Nice. Uh, I've not had that one. Two mm-hmm. in. Yeah, go for it. Absolutely. No rules. Right. No rules today. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so cocktail, pretty straightforward. But um, up at uh, our friends at Lone Star in Alston, um, just a mezcal Negroni, just uh, delicious. That sounds Love delicious. It. So it's it's yeah. just a mezcal instead of instead of gin. Exactly. Little... Some of the uh, beautiful single village mezcals from Del Maguey. Um, Chichi Capo was what we what we had uh, the other night, but um, I've also been just crushing Le Mondier Bernier champagne from uh, that beautiful house. Um, they do a couple of different cuvées that I've just been totally enamored with. I think they're killer for the money. Oh, gonna... man. that's I, I love that stuff. That stuff is fantastic. I can only <laughs> imagine it with, with... I've never had it with Island Creek oysters or, or any of the other many delicious oysters you guys have, um, but that, that sounds pretty fantastic. That's quite the life. All right, I, you know, before we uh, before we uh, <laughs> uh, really get into, it, I'd love for you guys to to um, see if you could sum up or characterize what Boston hospitality is like. You guys are both um, have have worked in the area, from the area, uh, and and I think that you have a unique perspective on it, especially you know working at. Uh, the very high level that you do, but also places where, where people are comfortable and can go uh, multiple times a week even. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the key is comfort. I think you hit the nail right on the head there. Um, one of the things that I learned growing up in both in the industry but specifically in the cocktail community and, um, you know, Jackson Cannon is our bar director, um, taught me this lesson really um, quite well, I would say, is – to respect and to appreciate your friends and the work that's being done by other people in the community. Um, and I think that that sort of warmth and hospitality is how you get to celebrate what we do. Um, the guests that come in the door, making sure they feel like it's their living room or their dining room, um, you know, and how that spreads across the, the restaurant community is really unique to Boston. Um, incredibly, particularly on the, the cocktail side, but I think it's, I've I've felt embraced by it since leaving the cocktail, or not leaving, but being less directly involved in the cocktail community and being more directly involved in the hospitality side. The warmth of the relationship with different chefs in the city, um, you know, Jamie Bissonette, who just opened up Toro in New York with Ken Oranger, is a close friend, and you know, just you know, comes into the restaurants all the time. Um, you know, John Gertzen from Drink, et cetera. Just how expansive and extensive the relationship through the restaurant community is in that warmth 
um, exudes through the restaurants. Yeah, and I mean, I've definitely encountered that. This is my first um, first list that I've had an opportunity to really curate and work with, and I have I can't sort of speak highly enough of my experience of being really like welcomed and brought into the sort of craft beer community in Boston as it's developing. Um, you know, people come into the restaurant, and I love I love talking to people. So the fact that people want to talk to me about beer, which is one of my great passions, uh, is really wonderful. And I think that, you know, sort of talking about hospitality and the neighborhood aspect of the restaurant, you know, we uh, have built our little spot in the Fort Point neighborhood of Boston, which is a really cool spot that is in the process of really starting to define itself as a neighborhood. You see restaurants, you see shops, you see homes, and businesses sort of starting to populate that area. So it's been really great to be a part of that transformation. And now, Megan, let's talk a little bit about how you put the beer program together. Um, Row 34 is built sort of as a working man's oyster bar, uh, and I, I took a look at your beer list, and it's not necessarily the beers that you might associate with a worker man's oyster bar. Uh, there's no, there's none of the, the the big names. It's a lot of craft beers, a lot of local uh, Massachusetts uh, beers. How did you put that together? Uh, the, how did you put together the the beer list? What was your philosophy behind it? Well, you know, I it's interesting. Like, I find the one of the most important things about my list is not only do I want to keep pushing myself and keep tasting and keep learning, but I think it's really important to have a list that's constantly in motion. So the same way that we approach our oysters, constantly changing depending on freshness and availability, definitely getting to explore new growers out there. I definitely love the ability of having sort of this this canvas, 24 lines to get to work with and really explore both what's going on locally and also dig into the really beautiful beers that have been a part of the culture for centuries and centuries, specifically in, you know, places like Belgium and Germany and other areas of Europe. So, you know, I think, you know, I look at, you know, you you use the term, you don't see sort of the, maybe not a working man's oyster bar beer list, like you just said, but I, I sort of disagree with that. I think that it's really, not only is it really important for me to get to introduce people, not like to local beers that are brewed right next door. I mean, there used to be oyster bars around the corner at every single area of Boston, so same goes for breweries. There were breweries in all cities that were specifically you know, for that city, meant to be drunk fresh. So I think there's a really interesting balance to be able to get to highlight the people that are doing really interesting, creative, innovative things uh, locally, but also get to explore all the wonderful things that are out there. You know, I I like that. I think that everyone can understand and appreciate a good beer. Uh, It's somehow less intimidating than wine. Not that I think that wine is intimidating, nor it should be, but uh, um, I I, I totally totally, uh, agree with that. (laughs) And have you had a hard time? I mean, I think people probably with beer maybe aren't, uh, aren't as brand loyal as, let's say, their their favorite liquor their liquor brands, but maybe more so than wine. When, when someone comes into the the bar, have you had to have many of those conversations where it's like, no, we don't have you know these these particular beers that that you might be looking for, but I can suggest something like this to you, and 
uh, how have those kind of go- those conversations gone? Well, I mean, I think that I d- I've definitely had those conversations before, but I've actually been really, it's been such a wonderful experience because I think in the beer industry right now, people always want to push themselves and to push their palate and try new things. And I love having the ability, you know, when someone comes in and says, like, this is the style that I tend to gravitate towards, or this is, you know, here's one beer that I like. Like, can you help me explore and find something new? Having the ability to do that for someone is really great. Um, And I've actually, I think people come in and they're like, oh, I've never had this beer. Like, I want to try, you know, these three beers over the course of my meal here. That's very cool. Now, uh, Tom, you, uh, as we spoke about before, you, you came from the, the cocktail world, working at some of the, the best places like Craggy on Main and uh, Eastern Standard. Uh, Eastern Standard, I just, anytime I'm anywhere near Boston, I have to go to Eastern Standard. Uh, I love it there. You know, we, I had a full meal with, with Alyssa, and um, we were passing Eastern Standard on the way home, and we still had to get, we had to stop by, get a cocktail and a tartare, and like, that was our dessert. Uh, I, I just, Steak I just asked, is the best. Oh man, it's so good there. <laughs> it's, it's so good. So, how did you uh, parlay your experience in the cocktail world into uh, running a restaurant as a general manager? And and I mean, you guys are doing not only are you doing a great job, but it's a pretty sizable restaurant. Uh, super busy. Uh, I'd say medium to large sized. Uh, probably large size restaurant, uh, and doing it at a very, very high level. Um, so it's, it's impressive, but how did you, how do you kind of use that experience, uh, as a GM? That's a tough question. Um, I mean, obviously you didn't just do, you've, you've worked in the industry for, for quite, uh, quite a long time. You, uh, you uh, worked for your uncle, who's a pretty renowned chef and restaurateur in in his own right. Um, but, um, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I guess I grew up in the restaurant industry, so, um, you know, the, the the sort of opportunity to become a general manager coming out of opening Craigie on Main um, was, was a unique challenge that, um, you know, I feel like Garrett Harker really, and, and Jeremy Sewell really um, ushered me through. Um, I felt I, I had a lot of the raw material, but the refinement of what that was, um, you know, both of we're so lucky because all of our owners really um, both constantly push the envelope of what to do, but they do it in a way in which is driven by the people that are part of our restaurant group. So I, I wake up every morning and I think, how can I be better at what do I, what I do? And how can I help the people that I work with be better at what they do? Um, and that really is a question that I think stems from Garrett, Jeremy, Skip. Um, you know, Skip's innovation on the farm is just so inspiring. Um, like, he's going to grow base scouts this year and just, like, can't wait to have those in the restaurant, <laughs> you know. And how do you, you know, when you're in a room of really – cool people and you're sitting around a table talking to them about really interesting things, um, you want to do the things that you contribute to that group better. Um, so I, my uncle is certainly the framework for where I came from relative to that, um, but Garrett Jeremy really pushed me to refine that in the dining room. Um, and of course, you know, none of this, you mom like 
every time I <laughs> encounter a problem in the dining room, I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> I think what my mom would do if she was hosting a dinner party. Wow. What, <laughs> what, how does that actually come into play? What, what, if, what, is, what is your mom's wisdom um, inspired in you? Uh, give us a for instance. This is, this is pretty cool. Um, well, my mom's just like, she just nev- everything's always all right. You know, there's never a problem. There's always a way to fix it. Um, you know, and, and that's, I remember my uncle talking to me about um, get people their medicine, Mm-hmm. which is very fitting for the topic of today, which is alcoholic <laughs> beverages. You know, and it, you want to get beverages on the table in front of people really quickly in restaurants. Um, and nine times out of ten, it makes everything better. You know, it just, makes, it just settles people yeah. down and relaxes them and makes them more comfortable. Yeah, we've even talked about uh, instead of, you know, it's, it's very standard in restaurants to offer uh, water as soon as people get seated. So, you know, can we, you know, we'd love to start you with uh, tap water unless you'd prefer bottled still or sparkling is usually what we say. We've thought about saying, uh, even before offering water, offering an al- alcoholic beverage because if you can get that there really quickly, put that in their, in their head. Uh, it's funny that you say that. I was joking with a guest in the dining room the other day. A friend came in and, um, and they sat down and I said, what are we drinking? And they were having a bottle of wine um, we picked the bottle of wine really quickly, and I, I got the glasses over and the wine open before the buster had water to the table. And I said, well, you know you're in a good place if you got wine on the table before water. And they, were, they agreed with me. It's, it's, you know, it's a pretty powerful tool. I, I, and I agree with you as well. All right, we're going to take a, uh, a quick break. Uh, we're going to be back with more from the folks uh, from uh, Row 34 and uh, Island Creek Oyster Bar just after a bit. Victor's Whiskey is a proud sponsor of HeritageRadioNetwork.org. If you drink the whiskey that warmed General Washington's troops at Valley Forge, does that make you a patriot? Not necessarily, but it indicates you appreciate that Michter's sets the standard for highest quality, limited production whiskeys. America's first whiskey distilling company, Michter's rich history dates back to 1753, when a farmer in Schaeferstown, Pennsylvania, distilled his first batch of whiskey from Hardy Rye. At one point, a master distiller left his family's well-known distillery to join Michter's so he could be at a smaller, less cost-conscious company where he could make the finest whiskey, cost be damned. Ask your bartender or retailer for Michter's whiskey today. Chatham Imports is the national sales agent for Michter's Distillery. For more information, please visit www.michters.com. That's www.michters.com. Hey guys, uh, so we used to uh, start off the second segment. We've gotten away from this with a geeky fact, um, and I would love. I'm sure that you have so many geeky facts about uh, about oysters, about cocktails, about beer. Um, I would love it if you could kind of distill something that uh, down that that we all um, 
don't need to know, but if you're a super geek, it would be really, really, really fun and interesting to know uh, this one not-so-vital fact about either oysters, beer, or uh, or cocktails. But let's... Oysters. <laughs> a really geeky fact. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Well, I mean, honestly, the first thing that I think of... Um, really relates to uh, sort of the mechanics of managing a keg room that is uh, so extensive and filled with um, so many different, like, styles of kegs and different fittings. Um, something that, you know, I've encountered, there's, this might be super geeky and super boring, so I apologize, but I've, found, I've encountered there are several different types of uh, keg fittings uh, for different styles of kegs. Mm-hmm. However, well, there's, universally, there's about four or five that most um, kegs use or breweries use, but there is one brewery um, called Schneider, which actually manufactures their own very specific keg coupler fitting, which looks very similar to a German slide, um, and you have to, they are very hard to hunt down, so when you, uh, if you ever order Schneider, just make sure that you have the fitting that is made specifically uh, for that brewery yeah and those and those wheat beers are super finicky too i've I found that like not only does you know do you have to have that perfect sankey but you also need the the right pressure and so like if you have a, a really good uh schneider vice or um one of their darker wheat beers and it's poured perfectly it's it's a thing of beauty oh absolutely i mean there's so many sort of idiosyncrasies to uh pressure and you know really giving your uh, your kegs some love to get them to pour you know perfectly in the way you want them yeah you know i was that's, amazed that's I an just... area that i've uh, definitely sort of expanded my knowledge of and i actually really enjoy putting a sweatshirt on and uh hanging out in the keg room <laughs> I, I i just took a tour of the the keg room at a uh, beer close by to uh to here called torst uh oh i love torst you, you know about it i don't know if you're yeah, able to so, see that such their, a beautiful their... beautiful bar i i went when they close to when they first opened but really really impressed with their list so beautiful and just as a restaurant operator seeing the the way that they organize their keg room where they basically have three different uh, stands for their kegs, one for the kegs that are in service, one for mm-hmm. the empty kegs that, that's right over next to it, and the, right before it on the left side for the kegs that are coming on after. So if when you when a keg kicks, they're able to just pop it over to the empty and then pull one over from the from the one behind so seamlessly. Uh, I'm sure you've you know we've all spent like the, those times in the refrigerated room like trying to climb over kegs, moving things around and like, you know, knowing that people are waiting for their beer upstairs. It's like, wow, that makes so much sense. Uh, I, I, I wish we had the, uh, the space or foresight to do something like that. Um, all right, Tom, how about, do you have a, do you have a geeky oyster fact for us? I was going to go oysters. All, all right. right. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, I think, uh, I think there's a little bit of a misconception. Almost all the oysters that we eat in this country are farm raised, not wild. About 98% of the oysters that we eat are, are farm-raised, not wild. Wow. It's a pretty simple fact, but I think oftentimes um, we miss that as a public. Wow. And what, what are the implications uh, for that? I know when it comes to fish, um, it, it tends to be that, that wild fish can, can be healthier depending on, the, you know, on, on the, the, the water source that they're coming from. Um, obviously, with, when it comes to a restaurant, they're much 
wildfish is much less uh, consistent. Uh, it's tough for us. I, we, we speak, uh, I speak about it with Gabe all the time, who's, who's the chef at, at our restaurants. Uh, we'd love to have as much wildfish as possible, but it, you can't be changing your menu every single time. You know, maybe the same day, and they're like, oh, yes, yeah, the can. fish isn't coming. <laughs> you guys change it every day. We do every day. Yeah. Um, no, and we focus really primarily in, in fin fish species nice. to, um, to, to wild. Um, with a f- very few exceptions, and the few exceptions that we do use are considered by most to be some of the highest, um, you know, some of the finest farm fish, Faroe Island, for example. And actually, Chef Jeremy just did a class with the staff. He did two classes. He did a staff, at, staff training at Roe last month, and then literally Monday this week we had, you know, the full service staff and and the full line and um, to do a two-hour training on, on knowing your fish. Um, in the... So... Wild is preferred flavor-wise. There are a couple of great farmed examples mm-hmm. for um, fin fish, but in the world of shellfish and oysters in particular, um, farm raises is, is an incredibly sustainable alternative and oftentimes is, has positive environmental impact as well. Um, so you go to Duxbury Bay where they've been farming oysters for, I guess it's almost 20 years now. Yeah. Um, you know, Skip's been mid late nineties, yeah. um, and it's one of the cleanest bays in the in the country. It's beautiful. You know, it's pristine. And if you look at Boston Harbor, um, you know, oysters are being put in the harbor to help clean it up as a result of um, their sort of transformative powers. Um, and so it appears, and our foundation does work. Um, in Africa that um, implies that this is a sustainable protein source um, for people that, you know, does not have negative environmental impact, actually has a positive environmental impact um, in a farm-raised context, which is, you know, a pretty remarkable thing considering um, how we have yet to sort of find that in finfish. Yeah. Yeah, well, you kind of stole my my geeky fact because I was going to talk about how uh, they're actually introducing my friends over at the Hudson River Park Alliance are introducing oyster beds to the Hudson River, which used to be absolutely filled with oysters. But then when uh, shipping and industry uh, introduced a lot of sewage to the Hudson River, uh, they all died off. Uh, but now they're introducing them first as a uh, a way to clean up the Hudson River, and then hopefully one day uh, we could, we'd be able to eat them as well. Um, but that that is pretty cool. I mean, you guys. Are are really known for uh, for your sustainability. I had no idea that you were doing any work in in Africa. Can you tell us a little bit more about what your company does and how you've attained this reputation uh, as as a pretty sustainable company? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think we just try to take it. it it's so complicated, you know. We try <laughs> to take it one day at a time. I would say. Um, I remember when we first opened Island Creek. Um, Chef Sewell and Aaron Byers Murray, who wrote the book Shucked, which is about the oyster farm, and is she's co-writing Jeremy's book that's coming out this fall. Um, and Skip did a panel, and I believe it was Jeremy said, "No fisherman wants to be the guy who catches the last fish in the sea." Right? Think about that for one second. Your livelihood goes away. You can't. You catch the last fish, and it's done. Um, you know. And so we try to look at fishing stocks that are you know, sort of more stable and that are local um, 
you know, there was the article that came out, what was it, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, that said most of our fish is being shipped over to Asia, frozen, and then shipped back. Like, we try to stay out of those situations. We try to know the person that we buy the fish from, um, make sure that it's as local as possible. Um, and that, for us, you know, it does a bunch of things. Number one, it offers incredibly high quality. Um, but number two is it means that we are um, working with within the confines of our community and hopefully um, being true to that kind of, you know, my, my political science back, I, I was a political science major in college, which everybody says, like, you know, you never use your degree, which is, like, one of the funniest <laughs> jokes in the restaurant industry. I think I use it all the time, but, you know, it's like the tragedy of the commons is pretty pretty clear in this sort of setting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, it's real, your efforts are really commendable, and uh, I love that on top of running, a, you know, a pretty spectacular restaurant, um, you're also focusing on sustainability. Pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. And in the context of like, just in the just to go back to beverage for one second. Yeah. You know, in the context of yeah, beverage, I beverage. think that we really try to do that too. And you know, Megan's comment earlier about neighborhood and working man's oyster bar and sort of objecting to the, you know, that it's working with. I mean, not to say that we don't look to Europe and and sort of some of the beverage um, heights, but looking for opportunities to work locally in the beer context, to work with smaller craft distilleries in the spirit context. And the wine side, which we really haven't touched on much at all, but, you know, I'm lucky enough to write the wine list of Island Creek as well. We focus on farmer-driven wines. I mean, I mentioned Le Mondier, for example, but, um, you know, in both, in all of our restaurants, you know, in the context of wine, it's people who grow the grapes, Terry Thies would call it farmer fizz for champagne, um, people who grow the grapes and then vinify their own wines, you know, that to us is sustainable. That's, that is working man's. That is, you know, farmer. Um, and, you know, when, and I'm, I bet you had to do this too, mm-hmm. when I started with, um, back with Garrett and Jeremy and Skip to help design, create Island Creek, I spent a week on the farm. Did you spend yeah. time on the farm, Megan? As did I. I spent a week uh, last October. And, you know, you go down there and you just realize how rich the culture and the tradition of, of that is. And when you make beverage decisions, you want to make beverage decisions that, you know, people are doing that same hard work, trying to be innovative, trying to be thoughtful. Um, and so we look for that across the board in beer, wine, and spirits. Absolutely. Well, you guys, uh, completely blown away by, uh, you know, I, I'm a fan before, but now getting to know you even more. I'm. Uh, I think I've gone into super fan uh, category. So <laughs> you guys are awesome. I can't. I can't wait to come back. Uh, we're planning a trip to Boston uh, either in September uh, or October. So um, you'll see Alyssa and I there soon, hopefully. Uh, awesome. I, I can't wait to meet you. I, I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait to come in and check it out. I do want to give a shout out to uh, the president of um, Island Creek Oysters, Shore Gregory, uh, who just was on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. So uh, <laughs> congratulations to Shore. Um, yeah, that was awesome. That's awesome. Uh, also want to give a, a shout out to a uh, former producer from the show, Alex Moskovitz, who uh who I know is listening in today. Uh, she's a, she's a fan of you guys. And uh, hi, Alex. Uh, we miss you. And uh, <laughs> thanks so much for uh, for being on the show, guys. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening. This has been in the drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. dot org. Thanks for having us. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.